I, uh, I just want to welcome you here tonight. We're going to try really hard each night. We, we said we're going to start at 7 and we're going to try really hard to, to keep to that. It's tempting tonight because I can see the, the, the foyer is still full. And uh, we're glad for that. We're glad for that. So I just want to uh, genuinely welcome you and congratulate you that you made it out uh, through the inclement weather and uh, you have done well. We're really, really honored that you are here and just appreciate uh, your, your participation. Uh, my name is Rodney Payne and uh, you'll, we'll get acquainted a little bit over our, our journey here. I get to play the role of host and uh, I'm just excited to be able to do that for you. And uh, over time, I, I was able to meet a number of you tonight and uh, I'm glad for that, really, really glad for that and uh, looking forward to more opportunities to get better acquainted and to meet even more of our uh, gathering here tonight. So just truly, truly, I just want to make it very clear, appreciate that you're here. Uh, a lot of folks were invited and uh, appreciate those that respond to the invitation. And we believe with all of our hearts that uh, you coming here tonight is well worth your time. And, uh, and, and I think the fruit of this, it will be a blessing for sure. Well, I just want to mention a few quick things. We don't want to spend much time in announcement, just kind of some housekeeping things very, very quickly. Uh, as I just mentioned, and you're very aware, the, the weather forecast is, uh, depending on where you look and who you're listening to, it's, it's not great to really, really not great. And so tonight seems to have held nicely for us, and even by the end of our meeting, I think we'll be just fine, but just want to encourage everyone to, to be safe. Uh, I met a few people that live close enough, they just walked here tonight, so they got the best commute there is. Uh, and so, just be safe. But listen, tomorrow night, the, the forecast is unfortunately a little, a little more in, uh, uh, drastic. We don't know. You know, they make forecasts, and sometimes it's worse than they say, and sometimes you look out and say, well, that didn't happen. And so, we just want to encourage you to, to do your best to come tomorrow night safely, Okay. Look out your window at the right time and, and you make your decision. It looks okay. I think we'll be fine. The car will do fine. And, uh, and, and we'll try to make sure our, our parking lot is, you know, if there's snow or ice, we'll make sure it's got some salt on it or something. We'll do our best. But just encourage you to come. Really, really want to encourage that. But also want you to be safe. I uh, just want you to be safe with that. Uh, that being said, another quick little housekeeping item is uh, restrooms. <laughs> Uh, during the course of the evening, uh, this is not like an orchestra concert where it's kind of rude to get up and walk in and out. So if you should feel like, oh, I just need a minute um, and you need to do that, uh, the foyer that you came in, if you, if you step out into the foyer and turn left, uh, just head down a hallway, about halfway down that hallway, uh, there's an ADA bathroom, there's a women's restroom, and then there's a men's room. And feel free, you know, use them. Uh, I just want you to know that's where they are so you can slip in and out very quickly. I also want to point out something that I believe is exciting that a lot of folks miss and, uh, and, I, and I think you'll be pleased to hear about this. So most of you here tonight got, got that big flyer in the mail and um, uh, there was a picture of a guy on the back that looked something like this and I got to tell you that was really strange to send out that many invitations with your picture on it. It's uh, kind of an unusual thing. Anyway, so on that flyer, we have good space in there to advertise and kind of highlight in a significant way the first five nights and the topics and a little description. But if you'll notice in the flyer, and a lot of folks miss this, it says, and nights continuing with more topics, and it starts to give a little glimpse. So I want you to know that this series of studies is going to go through pretty much through February and into the early part of March. And so the, uh, it's easier to say this, the, the off nights are Monday and Thursday. And so we're starting tonight, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday's off. A Tuesday and Wednesday uh, is, is going to be happening. And then Thursday's off and then a Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And, and in just a few moments, our, our speaker, Emmanuel, he'll highlight some of that future description. But I, I, people miss that for whatever reason. It's missed. And we just wanted you to be aware that, uh, for example, if, if you happen to miss... Uh, a night, there's lots more nights to catch, and we'll do our best to catch you up 
if you should happen to miss one of the, the evenings. The idea of catching you up, one of the tools that we'll have is that I want you to know that we have a handout for you at the end of the meeting. So tonight when the meeting concludes and, and you head out the door, there'll be some uh, our volunteers there to hand you a handout. And the handout is a, is a pretty complete uh, outline description of what you'll hear tonight. And so if you're a note taker, great. Take notes, enjoy that. If that helps you engage, uh, but uh, I don't want you to be so distracted taking notes you can't just really focus and listen. Just know that the information in really almost totality is going to be provided for you. And so as you leave tonight, be sure to get that handout. As you came in, you got a, a little key tag, right? And that key tag is kind of uh, for you to, uh, to come in and you don't need to do this registration process over again. You just have that key tag attach it to your keychain or, or, or attach it to something you'll have with you so that when you can come in, you can kind of just uh, swipe that key tag. And one benefit of that key tag is that each night we're going to have uh, some drawings. We're Just to have a little fun, we're going to have a drawing to uh, give away some things for you. And that key tag is how you kind of put your name in the hat, so to speak. I should say name in the basket because there's a basket right here just waiting for tonight's drawing. Tonight we're going we're gonna to do two of those things. And so be sure to swipe that, um, that key tag by 7 o'clock. And, and the reason for that is because they, they have to kind of pull all that information and, and have a basket ready for me to draw from uh, when we get to that moment. So finally, um, the last thing I want to share with you just briefly is um, we have a variety of things and we'll have some different things throughout the series uh, we have young people here with us tonight. We've encouraged about age 10 and up to just come and enjoy our whole gathering here. And so if a young person gets their name drawn, we have some choices for you. If an adult gets their name drawn, we have some choices for you. And so what will happen is if, if your name is selected at the end of the evening, get your hand out. There'll be a table, I think, just over here to, uh, to your right as you uh, go back into the foyer. And on the table, we'll have these choices and you can kind of look them through and, and choose the one uh, that you want. So we'll start with the kids. Maybe one of our young people will win tonight, but, but we have a, a New King James uh, Bible, uh, kind of nicely bound in, in purple. It looked like something that a young person might enjoy getting. I also have a kind of a, probably for our younger young people, but a good news for today, it's kind of like a, a workbook of, uh, of different Bible topics that they can go through as crossword puzzles and different little activities in there and scripture and kind of look up things and it's a, it's a neat little book. And for the adults tonight, we have three choices. One is a Strong's Exhaustive uh, Concordance. And, uh, and what this has is it has every single word in the Bible kind of referenced and cataloged. And, and so if you say, I'd like to do, what does the Bible say about fish? You could look up the word fish and go through every single instance in the Bible the word fish shows up. It also has Greek and Hebrew dictionaries in the back, the kind of the biblical languages. So that's a really cool resource. Uh, so that's one thing you can choose. We also have this little book, Essential Atlas of the Bible. And, and it's exactly what it is. It's an atlas of the Bible and it's full of really great photographs and maps. And it kind of, uh, it goes through a bit of a, a journey through the land of the Bible. And, and finally, and, and this one doesn't have as many pictures inside, but don't let that fool you. This is a book called The Desire of Ages. And it's a classic on the life of Christ. It just kind of unpacks the gospel story and uh, goes through the, the story of Jesus uh, in a very profound way. Uh, I, many times through, and been blessed by it. That might be a fun choice for you that I think you would find a blessing. So I'm going to sit these down. We will uh, put those in the foyer for the drawing, but right now we need to, to do that drawing. And, uh, and so let me, uh, let me do that. So Gertrude, thank you for the, the basket. You'll need to look at your key tag. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call off uh, two different numbers. And uh, in case they try to put somebody on top to stack the deck, I'll dig down to the bottom. <laughs> Not Gertrude, whoever. Yeah, okay. And, um, and so here's our, our two numbers. And, uh, and we're going to do this every single night. I'm not sure we'll be able to do two every night, but we'll do two for a couple nights. But, so there'll be lots of opportunities to, to see if you can enjoy this little moment. So 2502. 2502. Hey. Wonderful. That's amazing. I'm so glad that you, uh, that's your number. So listen, hang on to that. And at the end of the meeting, go to that table 
and, uh, and maybe Susie can kind of guide you to the table and, and, and pick out something you think you would enjoy. And then the other number is 2571. Uh, raise your hand if you're 2571. Uh, oh, oh, hey, in that front row, back row, perfect. All right, sir, thank you. We're glad that you're here. And uh, just take your key tag to that table tonight. And uh, I hope that you see something you'll enjoy and you'll be blessed by it. Well, that is a quick rundown of all these kind of items um, at this moment. I just want to invite our, our guest here tonight. He'll, he'll do a better job introducing himself than I probably can. And so, Emmanuel, we're glad you're here this evening and, and we're just uh, looking forward to a blessing. Good evening, everyone, and thank you for joining us tonight. Can you take these? On behalf okay. of my wife and I, I want to just say thank you for having, uh, joining us at the seminar. You know, we were just in Southern California before we came to this location, and I want to just say that I've just been amazed at the amazing team and the church that has hosted this. I want to say a special thank you to all of those that have volunteered to make the seminar possible, and thank you to the Beaverton Church for allowing us to use their facility. Tonight as we begin, as Rodney mentioned, this seminar actually continues for the next four weeks. And I do know that many of you probably didn't anticipate that it would take up so much time. The truth is that we want to be respectful of your time. And each night, without too much fanfare, we want to get into the heart of things and we want to make our presentation and then we want to end promptly. So I just want to encourage you to plan to be with us for these next four weeks for as many nights as you can. Now, I want to give you a quick schedule of what we have coming up in our seminar. Now, tomorrow night at 7 p.m., we have a topic. It's called Our Day in Bible Prophecy. Now, tonight at the end of our presentation, I'm going to give you a little preview of what that presentation is going to be about a little bit more. But on Sunday night, we're going to talk about the mark of the beast. Now, in a seminar like this dedicated to prophecy, it would be, it would be a miss to just avoid a topic like that. If you've ever had any discussions with believers or people that, that even may not know too much about the Bible, inevitably a subject like the mark of the beast comes up. And make no mistake, uh, there are so many different ideas out there. If you'll join us on Sunday night, I can promise you that from the Bible, you will have a very, very biblical explanation. And now, this is only part one, but you will get all the issues that surround the subject of the Mark of the Beast on Sunday night. Now, on Tuesday night, so we're off every Monday, but on Tuesday night, we have a two-part series. So it's Tuesday and Wednesday, and we're going to talk about the Antichrist of Bible prophecy. So Tuesday and Wednesday, prophecy, superpowers, a bold attack, those are our two subjects that are a mini-series where we'll look and examine the role of the Antichrist in the Bible. Now, on Friday night, we're going to talk about the Bible's most important prophecy. Now, why do we call it that? One of our famous uh, scientists, Isaac Newton, he studied this topic and he said that this prophecy is the cornerstone of the Christian faith. And if you'll join us this coming, one week from tonight, one we, uh, this, this coming Friday, I'll explain to you what that prophecy is. Saturday night, we have another topic called the Bible's longest prophecy. Now, you've noticed that each night we are doing our best to keep to a prophetic theme. And if you will join us for the next four weeks, I can promise you that in the Bible, we will cover the most important prophecies that the Bible gives to us that are designed to be understood by God's people living in the last days. And you'll see that the Bible emphasizes these prophecies using different literary patterns like repetition and, you know, length of, of uh, uh, material devoted to them. And so if you'll stay with us, you will have an understanding of these fabulous and very, very important prophecies that Scripture gives us. Now, whenever we open the Bible, this is one of those books that cannot merely be understood by just intellect alone. We want to have spiritual guidance. And so, unlike other books, this is a book that as you study it, the author can be present. But we want to invite that author to be with us tonight as we open and study his word. And so, right now, I'd like to invite you to just bow your heads with me as we open our topic tonight with a word of prayer. Our Father in heaven, as we open the Bible this evening, we pray that your Holy Spirit would be here. And I especially ask 
that you would grant us understanding and wisdom. Give us discernment. And not only do we want to understand these truths, but we want to love the truth enough that we would be willing to follow it. So please guide our minds tonight as we open your word, for we ask all these things in Jesus' name we pray, amen. I want to take you back almost 2,000 years to a conversation that Jesus was having with his disciples. They were walking by the temple in Jerusalem, and as they walked by, the disciples pointed Jesus to, or they pointed his attention to the structure of the temple of that day. And so the Bible tells us in Matthew 24, now in this seminar, we will be using the Bible, uh, the version that I'm going to be using for the bulk of my seminar will be the King James. Now, I encourage you to bring your own Bible. You are welcome to use any version you like. And I want you to know that I think there is a special blessing when you see it in the Bible for yourself. So, I encourage you to bring your Bible. Uh, tonight, I'm going to be putting, and, and each subsequent night, I'll be putting the passages on the screen, but I want to encourage you, uh, make, make use of the Bible that you have. And I'll be reading from the King James tonight, and here's Matthew 24, verse 1. And Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and His disciples came to Him for to show Him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, "'See you not all these things?' Verily I say unto you, there shall not be left here, how many? One stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now, before we move on, I want to tell you that what Jesus said was a shock. It was, a, it was an explosive statement to make to the disciples. They were Jews, and the Jewish religion had the temple as kind of the central centerpiece, you might say of all their worship services and all their ceremonies. So as Jesus said this, this almost was equivalent to like a punch in the gut to say something of this magnitude that not one stone of the temple would be left upon another. Now, something that you should know is that in the disciples' minds, a destruction of such magnitude, of such devastating force in their minds this had to be something like the end of the world, which paves the way for our understanding of what they asked Jesus next. Because in Matthew 24, verse 3, as He sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto Him privately, saying, "'Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy what? Of thy coming, and of what else?' and of the end of the world. Now, notice that the disciples already equated such utter destruction of the temple. In their minds, they assumed that this would have to be the second coming of Jesus and the end of the world. Now, Jesus knew that the destruction which He predicted was not going to be the end of the world. I'm going to give you a little bit of history. So, if you understand the events that took place in the year A.D. 70, in A.D. 70, there was a Jewish invasion, or I should say there was a Roman invasion of the city of Jerusalem led by a general by the name of Titus. Now, Titus gave specific instructions to his soldiers not to touch the temple. Now, Historians do not know exactly who, whether it was Jewish or Roman, but what we do know is that at some point the temple caught on fire, and we do know that as the temple began to burn, now it was stone, but there were things that were cedar and linen, and as the temple began to burn, many of the artifacts in the temple, some of them were pure gold, like we might say today, 24-karat gold. And so, these artifacts were in danger of the fire. Now, we know that not everything got destroyed in the temple because when Titus returned back to Rome, in those days, a victorious general was not only given a parade, but they also commemorated his victory with an arch. Now, if you ever visit the city of Rome, you're looking, you will have the chance to view what's called today the Arch of Titus. And on the Arch of Titus, there is a relief carved into that arch that depicts one of the, uh, 
the, the booty or the, the loot that the Romans were able to secure from the Jewish victory or from the Jewish temple, I don't know if you can see it from where you're sitting, but that being carried is the Jewish candlesticks. Now, those were made from pure gold according to the Bible. And so we do know that there were things that were taken from the temple that were not destroyed. But the fact is that there were items that were destroyed or lost in the fire. And some of you will know that gold has a pretty low melting point. And as, it, as the gold began to melt, as it seeped into the stonework, it was, not, it was after the total destruction of the city that looters began to come into the city precincts and they began to come into the temple. And what do you think they were looking for? They, they wanted the gold. And so in order to get to the gold, they actually began to pry apart the stonework of the temple. Now, some of you are probably aware that this temple in Jesus' day, it was a pretty magnificent structure. Scholars say that some of the stones that comprised that building weighed about 1,600 pounds, okay? So it wasn't a small feat that they undertook, but as Jesus predicted, they did take apart that temple and they did destroy that, that building to just its foundations, now, please understand that these disciples, they couldn't understand that this event would take place just within a generation of their time. But Jesus did not bother to correct their misunderstanding, and he wove two distinct uh, events into his answer to the disciples. He would tell them when this destruction would be, but he also began to explain to not only them, but for, really for the after generations, the events that would, su would surround his second coming and the end of the world. But before he answers that question, Jesus warned his disciples about something that would happen. In Matthew 24 and verses 4 and 5, the Bible says, And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man what? deceive you. Now, remember, in the previous verse, all they asked was, tell us, when was this going to happen? What will be the sign of your coming of the end of the world? And then Jesus said, don't be deceived. And then in verse 5, he said, for many shall come in my name, saying I am Christ, and shall deceive many. Now, I'm going to make a little point here that's not super important, but I want you to get a perspective on what this could mean. Because in verse 5, the translators added some punctuation. Now, for those of you that know a little about the history of the Bible, the original Greek manuscripts have no punctuation. And so when punctuation is added, it's actually added for the intent of giving a certain meaning. But if you remove all the punctuation in verse 5, you can understand that what Jesus may have also been alluding to is that many would come in his name saying that Jesus is the Christ. And that using that you might say, uh, credibility would seek to deceive others. Does that make sense? Did, did I point that out okay for you? In other words, people would come pointing to Jesus as the Messiah, and yet they would still try to deceive people concerning these events. In the same chapter of Matthew 24 and verse 11, Jesus said that many false prophets would arise and do what? deceive many. And then in verse 24, Jesus said, for there shall arise false Christs and false prophets and shall show great signs and wonders insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Now, make no mistake. When the disciples asked, they said, Jesus, when is this total destruction of the temple going to be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the world? And then Jesus, not once, not twice, but four times, Jesus said, don't be deceived. Now, folks, that tells us, that lets us know that deception is coming. Now, something that you have to know is that unless you go like to a magic show, most people don't choose to be deceived, right? And so, what is the reason why people get deceived when it comes to spiritual matters? Well, in Matthew 22, Jesus said this, Jesus replied, you are in error because you do not know the what? You do not know the Scriptures or what else? The power of God. Now, I chose that from the NIV just because it, it gives it a little more succinctly. And I want you to know that when, when Jesus said this, He made it very clear the reason why 
people make mistakes in spiritual matters. The reason, the root of the cause is that, number one, they don't know what the Bible says, okay? They don't know what the Scriptures teach. Now, when Jesus was speaking to this group of people, they were actually people that were very knowledgeable. In fact, some of them had memorized the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and yet Jesus added that they didn't know the Scriptures or the power of God. You see, the Bible is not just a book that can be understood with the mind, but it has to be experienced in the life. That's what it means when it says the power of God. You have to experience the truth to truly understand it. Now, folks, people come to these seminars. I've been holding these seminars for the last 11 years, and I've held them all across the world. And I have people that come, and they just want to know. They, they just say, okay, just, just tell me, who is it? Who is it? Or what is it? And the fact is that in a seminar like this, it's not just our goal to teach you what the Bible says. We want to challenge you to understand what the Bible teaches, but also to follow what you learn to be truth if it's in God's Word. Can you say amen to that? So, in other words, as you go through this seminar, it's not just about learning night after night, and I hope you learn, and if you come, I believe by God's help you will. But it's also about saying, okay, if this is true, I'm going to make a decision to follow the truth. Amen? And so, friends, as we go through this seminar, make it a, convic make it a, a, a conviction of your heart that not only do you want to learn but you want to follow, you want to experience God's power as you learn and follow the truth in your life. I'm going to give you an example tonight. So, we just passed the holiday season, and I'm sure many of you can attest. It's the most wonderful time of the year. You see family, you have great food. You know, it's, it's, it's an exciting time of the year to enjoy just, you know, the, the holidays as a whole. But you know, it's interesting, when we celebrate the nativity, when we celebrate Jesus' first advent, it's interesting that we often overlook that the first coming of Jesus in many ways was a tragedy. Now, how so? Did you know that in the Bible, there are over 300 prophecies that point to the first coming of the Messiah? Over 300. They're, they're not even ambiguous. Some of these say what city he's going to be born, his family. They're going to tell you like the political conditions of the time that he was. I mean, just things that are unmistakable as far as the first coming of the Messiah. Now, with all of that evidence, with all of that information, how is it possible that they could miss the first coming of the Messiah. I'm going to just use a simple illustration. So, I've been in Beaverton now for a little bit over, no, about two days now, almost for two days. And I want to just ask you if there was a sign, if there was 300 signs that said this way to Portland, okay, 300 signs, is it possible that you could get lost? Okay, you're laughing. I'm taking that to mean no, right? Now, the only way that you could be lost is if you ignored the, the signs, right? Okay, so why did the Jews miss the first advent of the Messiah? Why did they miss that? So, it's not because there wasn't enough evidence. There was enough evidence. So, there were two factors that took place. And the first one is that in the time prior to the first coming, the average Jew was not studying the Scriptures, at that time, the Old Testament, really for themselves. Now, some of you might be wondering, well, they didn't have as many copies of the Bible. Actually, every synagogue, which was quite common in, you know, that, that time in that area, every synagogue had a copy of the Old Testament, and people had access to it. So, you know, this, this kind of uh, opportunity still didn't prepare them for the first advent. Even though the Bible was there, they didn't actually study it for themselves. Instead, they kind of relied on their teachers, or we might say their rabbis or their pastors, we might use that term. And so, by relying on them, that set them up for a second problem. And the second problem was that in Christ's day and prior to His coming, the religious leaders were blinded to a 
selfish view of prophecy. Uh, In other words, they imposed on the Scriptures what they wanted to see rather than letting the Scriptures speak to them about what the Bible really taught. In other words, if I could rephrase that, they they read what they believed instead of believing what they read. Does that make sense? And by doing this, this set, up, this set up the Jews for a major deception because when Jesus first came, there were only, you know, we had the wise men from the east, we had Simeon, we had Anna, some shepherd. You know, you understand that it was, you know, the, the, one of the greatest events in salvific history, and yet there was only a few people to recognize or acknowledge this stupendous event. Now, I'm giving you this illustration because I'm going to ask you this question, could it happen again? Well, I want you to know that today we live in a totally, a totally information-saturated age. We don't even have to buy Bibles now because if you have a smartphone, you can get a smartphone, you can get a Bible app for free. And uh, every hotel has a Bible. And the truth is that even with the proliferation of Bibles, people still don't really study the Bible for themselves. Isn't that true? And not only that, Today, it's very, very easy to influence thousands of people, millions of people. Um, I used to watch some television programs like TBN, and I've watched different religious broadcasts, and I'm I'm not disparaging all religious TV preachers, but I know, just by statistics, I know that a bulk of those TV preachers have got to be wrong, and I'll tell you why. Because if you listen long enough, None of these guys really agrees completely with the other. Have you ever noticed that? And that tells you right away that there must be, there must be error that's being taught and propagated on a massive scale today in our society. Did you know that in the Bible, there are over 2,500 references for the second coming? In fact, in the New Testament alone, one out of every 25 verses talks about the second coming. I want to ask you, if there were 2,500 signs that said, this is the way to Portland, could you miss that? No, unless you were what? Ignoring the signs, right? Did you know that Jesus admonished us to understand the signs? Now, I've had Christians that have come to my seminar, they said, you know, this is like fear-mongering or this is, you know, this is like sensationalism. Now, I want you to know that in our seminars, we do not try to scare people. And, and I'm telling you this uh, factually. We don't, our goal is not to scare you. As you'll learn tonight, we really want to teach people what the Bible says. And you'll discover that the Bible tells us, Jesus tells us, that we should be aware of the signs. I want to read to you Matthew 16, starting in verse 1. The Pharisees also, with the Sadducees, came and tempting, desired him that he would show them a sign from heaven. He answered and said, Unto them, when it is evening, you say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and lowering. Oh, you hypocrites, you can discern the face of the sky, but can you not discern the what, everybody? The signs of the times. So, I want to ask you, does Jesus want us to understand the signs of the times, yes or no? Yes, he does. Now, Jesus doesn't want us to know that so that we're anxious, that we're worried, that we're always in fear you know, wringing our hands. No, Jesus wants us to know because if we know what's coming, it's possible that we can prepare for what's coming. If that's clear, can you say amen? And so, folks, tonight as we go through these nine signs, I want to tell you right off off the bat, our goal is not to scare you. Our goal is not to cause you anxiety. Really, what we want to do is help you understand where we're living, and the importance of understanding those things would help us to prepare and order our lives aright and have greater confidence in Jesus. And so, as we begin tonight, I'm going to give you uh, the first sign that Jesus gave. Now, this is from Matthew chapter 24 and verse 6, and here's what the Bible says. Jesus said, now remember, in verses 1 and 2, they talked about the temple. Jesus said, uh, and in verse 3, the disciples said, what what will be the sign of your coming? In verses 4 and 5, he said, hey, beware of deception. And now in verse 6, Jesus begins a sequence of signs. And he says in verse 6, you shall hear of wars, and what else? (coughs) Rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom 
against kingdom. Now, tonight I'm going to give you a quick survey, and uh, this is just a kind of an overview of the 20th century. World War I, 20 million deaths. World War II, 50 million deaths. There was the Korean War, Cambodian uh, wars, uh, Cambodia, uh, war in Cambodia, Rwanda, Vietnam, Gulf, war, uh, Gulf Wars I and II, tribal wars in Africa. Do you know all in total, the 20th century had a total of 180 million deaths. Now, to put that in perspective, that's like a, maybe a little bit over half of the population of the United States. That's a staggering number of deaths just from warfare. Now, remember, Jesus didn't just say there would be wars. He said there would also be rumors of war. And, you know, it hasn't been that long <laughs> since we had the, the North Korean scare. Uh, but do you know that even right now, um, there are different groups that evaluate the threat levels from different countries to the United States. And what's interesting is that these different countries around the world that pose a threat for the United States have varying degrees of uh, ratings, okay? And the Heritage Foundation has a great website where they kind of give that information. As you know, uh, the United States right now is being challenged as a superpower by the presence of China as well as Russia. And as I'm going to share a little bit later, it is not by chance, it is not by chance that as we progress in, his, as we progress in the future, thank you, that there is clear evidence that what the Bible predicted, that there would not just be wars, but there would be rumors of wars, is definitely the forecast for the future. Now, I have on the screen here uh, a verse, Matthew 24, verse 8, okay? And I put this verse up because I know that some of you are sitting here tonight and you're saying, there have always been wars. There have always been conflicts. How can human conflict be a sign of the end when they've always had, you know, uh, wars and, and rumors? Even in Bible times, they had this. So, verse 6 and 7 say, you know, there will be nation will rise against nation. There will be wars and rumors of war. And then verse 8, Jesus said, all of these are the beginning of sorrows. Now, that word sorrows in the Greek is taken from a word that means birth pains. So, mothers, you know what this is talking about because if you've given birth, uh, ladies say that as, as the, the, the fateful moment approaches, the, the way that you know that the baby is coming is because the contractions, they become closer together and what else? They become what else? They get stronger, more intense, right? And folks, this is what Jesus was trying to say. It's not that we've never had wars before. We have. But what Jesus was predicting is as we approach the end of time, the things that he would describe would increase in frequency and intensity. No one can deny that the scale of warfare that we've had since the atomic age is if it's unprecedented the amount of human life that can be destroyed with the press of a button today, right? Here's another very interesting sign that the book of Revelation gives. Revelation 11 verse 18, please notice what the Bible says. It says, and the nations were angry, and, the, and thy wrath is come, and the time of the dead that they should be judged, and that thou shouldest give reward unto thy servants the prophets, and to the saints, and to them that fear thy name, small and great, and shouldest destroy them, which do what? Which destroy the earth. Now, this last phrase in Revelation pinpoints a time when God comes to give his reward to his people, but as he does that, the Bible specifically says that the people of earth have the ability to destroy the earth. Now, I want you to think about that. In Bible times, you know, the, the most destructive weapons that they possessed were bow and arrow, sword, spear, right? And then, you know, if you were in Asia, maybe gunpowder was invented. But, you know, as you go forward in time, we've reached a point where mankind has discovered the secrets of the atom. And so, nuclear weapons and hydrogen bombs and these kinds of things. On the chart tonight, I have a, just a graph that shows the, the 
denuclearization, you might say, of the different nations. Now, that chart is telling us that we have less nuclear weapons than we did at the height of the Cold War. But make no mistake, even in this time period, the, the, the big countries of the world, the countries that have nuclear capabilities, they have a staggering amount of nuclear weapons. In fact, someone has said that just with America and Russia's nuclear stockpile, we could destroy the world dozens of times over, okay? Now, I'm, I'm only saying this to you to say that this is a fulfillment of what the Bible was talking about. Um, the Bible said that God would come at a time when mankind possessed the ability to destroy the earth. We didn't have that before. And you know, there's another <clears throat> interesting thing that's happening today. We are destroying the conditions that favor human life, okay? And you know, I'm sure we could talk more about that, but for sake of time, I want to move on. The Bible also gave us another sign. This is in Matthew 24 again. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be what? Famines. Now, Today, with the click of your, or with the tap of your finger, you can find exactly the statistics that I'm about to share with you. One-ninth of the world is in famine-like or hunger uh, conditions. One-ninth of the world. In fact, <coughs> every year, nine million people die because of hunger-related causes. Nine million people per year. That's a staggering amount of people that are dying. So, Statistically, they say that 11% of the world is hungry, 11%. And here's just a, a small chart. Um, this is a graph that's showing the population explosion, okay? So I'm sure that most of you know that our cities are, some of these cities of the world are becoming mega cities. And believe it or not, the biggest cities in the next decade or so are going to be in Africa, like in Congo, like Kinshasa. And some of these cities, they're going to be like 20, 30, 40 million people in a city. And you know what's interesting is that as these cities explode, the amount of land that's available to grow food decreases, which means as time goes on, if the population continues to, to grow at an exponential level, that just means that the forecast that Jesus gave that famines would increase is exactly true according to the Bible. But that's not all. In Matthew 24, verse 7, Jesus said, For nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and what else? Pestilences. The word pestilences in Greek could also be translated in English as plague or disease. Now, uh, today, when we look at the world, there is an interesting phenomenon that's taking place in the landscape of diseases, okay? And uh, these scientists that study diseases, they are saying that there are new strains of disease which are coming from the animal kingdom. I, I watched a fascinating documentary on these things they call phyloviruses, like Ebola, and these dangerous viruses that are killing people um, around the world. And what's interesting is that some of these diseases are, are kind of new in the uh, epidemiological landscape, but then there are diseases that, are, that have been around but are not being effectively treated by the same protocols of treatment that hospitals have been using for decades. So what's, what's amazing is that what the Bible predicted as far as pestilences or diseases is exactly in accordance with what Jesus said because he predicted, oops, excuse me, he predicted that there would be diseases that would, like the birth pains, they would increase and they would become more intense. And make no mistake, these things are happening around the world at an unprecedented rate, something we've never seen before. Now, sign number five something that the Bible gives to us in unmistakable language in Luke 21. Luke 21, verse 25, the Bible says, There shall be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars and upon the earth distress of nations with perplexity. Notice these last words, the sea and the waves, what? Roaring. Now, in our modern language, we would call that like a hurricane or a storm, right? Now, this is very fascinating. This, these statistics are not too old. Uh, 2017 was the most expensive year for natural disasters. It was the record. It was the record of the most expensive year for natural disasters. Now, <clears throat> when I was holding this seminar last year, 
They were fresh off of the hurricanes down there in the Gulf. And there were three, not one, not two, but three storms all above a Category 4 that were consecutive on the Atlantic coast. Now, do you realize that's never happened before? It's never happened like that before. Now, why am I pointing this out to you? The Bible is telling us that before the end, these disruptive patterns of nature are going to be kind of a feature uh, in the end times. And I'm surprised because, you know, everywhere I go, it doesn't matter if it's in the U.S. or overseas, they are seeing just kind of nature in convulsions. Like, it's just strange things. In the Philippines, they've had some of the strongest typhoons they've ever had in the last few years. They've never had such powerful storms before. So this is something that we, the Bible talks about and we should be taking note of because the Bible mentions this as one of those signs. Now, from the financial standpoint, the Bible also has something to say. This is the book of James chapter 5, and I want you to make note of the timing, or I should say the context of this particular passage. It says, Go to now, you rich men, weep and howl for your miseries that shall come upon you. It says, your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. Then it says, your gold and silver is cankered. Another word for that word cankered is rusted. And the rust of them shall be a witness against you and shall eat your flesh as it were fire. You have heaped treasure together for the what times? For the last days. Now, even secular people understand that when you die, you can't take it with you. Isn't that true? Have you heard the saying that there are no U-Hauls behind hearses, right? You've heard that before, right? So the idea is that everybody knows when you die, you don't take it with you. The Bible describes wealthy people who have heaped together treasure for what time, what days? The last days. That means they must be living in the last days. Now, here's something interesting, though. The Bible says that their gold and silver is rusted. Now, that's a, that's a metaphor. It's an analogy because we know that gold does not rust. But let's just say, just for sake of illustration, let's just say that you had gold bars in your closet at home and, you know, you, you probably had, I don't know, maybe 500, maybe about 1,000 pounds of gold bars. And then one day you open your safe and you discover that it's just a pile of of, of dust. It, it rusted away. What happens to your wealth? What happens to it? It what? It's gone. Do you know that the Bible is using a metaphor for the sudden devaluation of wealth in the last days? Now, I don't know if you realize, but we saw this happen in 2008, right? There were millionaires <coughs> that became thousandaires, right? There was people that lost huge fortunes overnight. Now, what's interesting is that this is a constant struggle, and, I, and I'm sure for those of you that know a little bit about economics, I'm not an economist by any sense, but I'm fascinated by e economics because it's a study of human nature. But, you know, that's the constant precipice that they're trying to avoid. It's two, really, two, two dangerous, dangerous ravines. They're trying to avoid recession and inflation, right? And so, you know, I have a friend who is a financial analyst and a very successful business person, and he says that we are overdue for a, another major recession. It's coming. And he says, you know, keep all your money in cash. But anyway, the point is, the, the, the point is that, you know, these, this is the constant threat. And the Bible is actually describing that kind of a condition as it describes the sudden devaluation of wealth there in the book of James. I want to take you back to the book of Luke, and I want to give you another sign the Bible says. And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. Now, let me just point out, when Jesus mentions this in Luke 17, he makes a comparison. He says that right before I come, it's going to be like the times of Noah. But what were the times of Noah like? Well, Genesis gives you kind of this snapshot of what the times of Noah was like. It says the earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with what? Now, of all the things to say about a time period, you know, you have one verse that describes, you know, a civilization that lived thousands of years before, and it says that the earth at that time was filled with violence. That's like a, 
like a zeitgeist of that particular period of time. Then in verse 13, it says the same thing again. It says, And God said unto Noah, The earth, the end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. So when Jesus says, The time before I come will be like the time of Noah, and when we read the book of Genesis, Noah's day was marked in these two verses. It says specifically that it was a violent period of human history. Well, folks, that is an apt description of the world that we are living in today. Isn't that true? Now, I haven't been keeping tabs, but because the truth is that almost every three months or maybe every two months in the news, you hear about another mass shooting. Isn't that true? And, uh, you know, some of my overseas friends that live in like Asia or Africa, they make fun of the U.S. because it's like, it's, it's like a it's so dangerous here because there's all these public shootings and such. And the reality is that it's a different world that we live in now. You know, in the old days, you know, kids kind of punched each other and then, you know, went back, on, went their separate ways. But today, like, kids are, are shooting each other at school. I, I took a little snapshot of an article about the Amish school shooting um, because I had done some, some seminars near some of these communities, and they're some of the nicest people you'll ever meet. You know, they horse and buggy, they, they cook great food, they make great uh, furniture, and yet even in this kind of a setting, a peaceful, very, you know, pacifist type of an environment, violence reaches right into the heart of that kind of a community. That means that there is no place really today that is, ex- that is uh, exempt from, from uh, devastating violence. Now, Jesus gave us another sign in Matthew 24, I want to read verse 7 to you. The Bible says, For nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines, pestilences, and what else? Earthquakes in diverse places. Now, here is a survey, and it's just short, of the major. Now, we didn't have this Richter scale. It's a modern thing. But, you know, when historians go back and they read about, if it's mentioned, it must have been significant, you know. And so, they kind of just make assumptions. But, You know, the point is that (coughs) these are some of the significant earthquakes from the 16th to the 20th century. So we're living in the 21st century. Scientists say that every year there are over 1,000 earthquakes. Every year, over 1,000 earthquakes that are above a 6.0. That means it's a major earthquake on the Richter scale. Now, Some of those earthquakes aren't felt because they're simply at the bottoms of the ocean. But this chart shows the government's response to various natural disasters, among which are earthquakes. And I forget which color is which, but the point is that it's definitely on an increase. And here is a graph that charts the human death toll from earthquakes over the last almost 100 years. So, well, have we always had earthquakes? Yes, even in Bible times there were earthquakes. But Jesus said these are the beginning of the what? The birth pains, right? As we approach the end of time, these things will become more frequent and more intense. Now, sign number nine, very interesting. I want to read this to you from 2 Timothy 3. The Bible says this know also that in the what days? Last days, perilous times shall come. For men shall, let me, for men shall be, Lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Now, when you read this list, it's interesting because people will think right away that this is a description of secular society in the last days. But the Bible says in verse 5, having a form of what? Godliness. You, You and I both know this. Secular people don't pretend to be spiritual, right? They just live their lives. So, 2 Timothy 3 is actually a description of the Christian church in the last days. I want to show you a poll that was taken by uh, the Gallup group, and it was only for Christians. So, they only surveyed believers, and this is what they asked them, four questions. Is there such a thing 
as absolute moral truth. In other words, is it black and white or is everything just kind of relative? You know, is it like all gray, okay? Number two, is there such a thing as the Holy Spirit? Seems like simple questions, right? Number three, did Jesus literally rise from the dead? And then number four, did Jesus ever sin while He was here on earth? So, four questions, and this was, now remember, only Christians. Here was the response. 47% said no to the first question. You should be alarmed because that means that you have a Christian neighbor who thinks that sometimes it's okay to steal your TV, okay? Um, The second question, is there such a thing as the Holy Spirit? 43% said no. No, two out of five Christians didn't think there was a thing as the Holy Spirit. Number three, did Jesus literally rise from the dead? One out of three Christians said no. I don't know if you know what Paul says about that. If Jesus didn't rise, he says we are yet in our sins, okay? And then, of course, number four, did Jesus ever sin while he was here on earth? One out of five Christians believe that was true. Folks, if Jesus did sin while he was here on earth, then he couldn't have been our substitute and there's no hope for us, okay? And I'm not saying that's true. I'm just telling you that this is kind of the bleak outlook of the state of Christianity at the time of this survey. In Matthew 24, Jesus had these words. He said, so likewise ye, when you shall see all these things. Now, remember, he gives a list of signs. The disciples said, Jesus, tell us, when is this temple going to be destroyed? What will be the sign of your coming of the end of the world? And Jesus said, when you see all these things, not just one, not just two, but when you see all these things, then you should know that it is what? That it is near and it's even what? At the doors. You know that expression, at the doors? It's very, very pointed to me. Uh, it's something that's memorable for me. I want to tell you a short story. Growing up, uh, my sister and I were told that we had to limit how much television we, ch- we could watch at home. So my parents were pretty strict about it. At some point, they decided that it wasn't such a good idea to have such a big TV at home. And so one day, it was the strangest thing. One day, it was the TV was in our living room, and then it was on the curb outside waiting for the garbage truck to take it away and to dump it, okay? And so, but in those days, we didn't have the internet, and our, our parents knew, like, okay, we have to get, like, you know, watch the news and stuff. So, they bought this little tiny TV, and they would let us watch it from time to time, but they were really strict about not letting us watch too much television. And so, When they would leave, uh, you know, maybe go to friend's home or something, they would say to us as kids, they'd say, hey, while we're gone, don't watch TV. But my sister and I were kind of bad kids, and we would watch it anyway, you know. And in those days, it's not like an LED or LCD or, you know, these, these fancy TVs today. Like, you could put your hand on it. And you would know it was hot, right? And so, like, we would get beat. And so, we kind of, we kind of figured out that this, this system uh, of trying to deceive them wasn't working too well. Well, at some point, they got fed up, and they yanked out this cord that, that connects to the TV. And it's kind of a universal standard cord. So, like, we found another one, and we would keep watching it anyway. And so, they got frustrated. I mean, like, they would hide it because it was portable, but we'd still find it, okay? And we would start watching it again. And, you know, as we would watch, we would get so engrossed in what we were watching that we never heard the car pull into the driveway. We just didn't hear it. And while we were watching, we never even heard. Our, our house had two doors. It had a porch door. It had a main front door. We never even heard the porch door open. We just didn't hear it. And the only thing that we would hear is when the main door, it had a deadbolt on it, and when it would turn, it made this big thunking kind of a noise. But by that point, if you heard, it was too late. Because by that point, as soon as they opened the door, they saw us, and it was too late. (laughs) And folks, when I heard that expression, I realized what Jesus was saying is this. When you see not just one of these, but when you see all of these things happening, It's not to tell us that we should be afraid. It's not to tell us that we should just live in fear or anxiety, but it's hopeful for us. It's letting us know that Jesus is soon to come, that something great is about to happen. Friends, I want you to know that as you go through this seminar, you will discover more clearly that the Bible is God's way of leading us, not just through this life, 
but the life to come. And as we study together night by night, I pray that the conviction will fasten upon you even deeper that Jesus has led you to this seminar. It's not by chance that you're here tonight. You could have been any number of places, but you're here tonight. And I want you to know that I believe that in these nights to come, there will come some topic that you absolutely want to come to, and it seems like you can't come. And friends, I want to tell you, the devil is real. He wants to keep you from hearing the truth. So on that night, I want you to make a superhuman effort to be here. Can you say amen? (laughs) And I'm not just trying to sell you something. I've seen this pattern over and over. But please, friends, as we study together, as we open the Bible night by night, Follow Jesus. Let him guide you. Tonight, I'm going to invite my friend Shannon to come up, and he's going to sing a song for you. As he sings this song, let it be your prayer that Jesus will lead you all the way. And when he's done praying, I'm going to ask you to make a decision for Jesus, and then we're going to have a closing prayer as we finish our meeting tonight.
as I lay my burdens down, that Jesus led me all the way, that led me Bow your heads with me as we pray. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. And before we pray, if you want to say tonight, Lord, no matter what comes, no matter what the future holds, I want Jesus to guide and lead me all the way. If that's your desire tonight, won't you just raise your hand and say, Lord, that's my heart's desire. God bless each of you that have raised your hand tonight. Let us pray. Father in heaven, as we come to you this evening, no matter what happens in this chaos-filled world, help us to keep our hand in yours. Guide us and walk with us, no matter what storms may come. Lord, I'm sure tonight there are some that are facing some difficulties, in their lives. But I pray that we can have confidence knowing that if we give our lives to Jesus, no matter what the future holds, things will get better. Please keep us safe, and I ask that you would help each one to return again tomorrow night, for we ask all these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.